Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in, Gator fans, to the new Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Abelverde and Graham Hall. Presented by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into another Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, joined to my right by Graham Hall, the Hoops beat writer for the Sun. Graham, how's it going, my man? It's going very well, Zach. Always good to be here with you, breaking down everything. And we're going to be joined by a third member of our team now on today's show, the new columnist for the Gainesville Sun, sports columnist, that is, David Whitley. He'll join us to uh, give us some background on himself, let us uh, know a little bit about his history covering the Florida football program, exposure to it, and also whether he is a Moe's or Chipotle guy, which is always something that people want to know about you. And I think, Graham, you're going to be happy with his answer. But we're also going to discuss some hoops on today's show, as well as Dan Mullen completing his coaching staff with the hire of Jules Montanar. And now they're kind of set for spring, Graham, and no uh, coaching searches to be had, no assistants to be hired. And now they can kind of focus on 2021. But I think right now the focus is on Florida basketball and uh, what the Gators uh, were doing coming off of that win against Georgia and getting some guys back up in the lineup and, and kind of changing their rotation a little bit and, and how they're running things. But uh, first of all, Graham, what are your thoughts on how this kind of staff came together and what Dan Mullen has decided to do uh, in the secondary with the two hires that he made? Well, I think you look at the ties to Florida for both these guys and in Jules and Wesley McGriff, really prioritizing landing those high priority in-state guys that you want to get in your class every single year. The Trey Sanderses, the DeMarcus Bowmans, these are guys that you consistently want to land. And you get guys who have been recruiting the SEC, have been recruiting the state of Florida year in and year out. When you can do that, that gives you a better chance. And not to knock the guys that, that Florida brought in here or the previous secondary coaches, because we've said before that Torian Gray and Ron English, two guys with a strong pedigree and developing NFL talent, and in Gray's case, coaching in the NFL. But the guys that Florida just added to the staff, I would say have more of a tie right now currently to recruiting in-state prospects that you should have already had a jump on, the 2022-2023 guys that really need the two, three years of a head start. Anytime you bring a guy like Torian Gray, who's who was in the NFL, didn't have a chance to build those relationships with guys as freshmen, anytime you get a chance and replace him with a coach who has done that, it's going to help you out on the recruiting trail, seemingly. Now, this year with COVID-19, we still have to see how spring unfolds with official visits opening back up here hopefully in April, maybe May. When that happens, we'll really get to see the recruiting prowess of these new assistants, Zach. Yeah, I think one thing that I think is obvious to me just on the surface, looking at both of the hires, watching some videos of these guys mic'd up, and just knowing the two coaches that they were replacing, I think a lot of it has to do with coaching style, Graham, because... If you look at Ron English and Torian Gray, you can certainly not say that 
they didn't have the coaching experience and the background to be at the University of Florida working in the secondary. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, and honestly, the guys that they're being replaced by, specifically Montanar, simply doesn't have the coaching experience that somebody like Torian Gray had or certainly Ron English. But when you kind of look into his background, you watch some videos of him, you see his personality and how he comes off and, and how these kids will take being coached by him, I think there's just a difference there also with him and Coach Crime Dog, just what they're bringing to the table in terms of maybe some more fire uh, to that spot, how they're going to motivate those guys, how they're going to get up on, you know, on them in practice. And I just think that might be a shift that Dan Mullen is going for when it comes to the defensive staff. Not so much what they can do from an X's and O's standpoint. I think your point about recruiting is valid and that both of these guys have experience in the Sunshine State They've proven their success. You know, the results are in the pudding. Um, and I think they're going to be able to help on, on, on that front. But I just think where they're really going to be able to, to show their value and, and maybe bring some more benefit to the, the makeup of this staff is just their coaching style and their personality and how the players maybe receive it differently than they did with Gray and English. And I don't know how you feel about that, but uh, I don't think that's that's anything to speak negatively on those two guys. I just think that there's just a change in the room and on the practice field that's going to occur with these two hires. I agree, and if you look at the trends, the way that things have changed in college football, especially in the Power Five recently, you've seen a more willingness to go younger at some of these assistant positions, especially after the NCAA added that one more in to make it a 10th position yeah. there. You've seen coaching staffs repeatedly go a little bit younger, trying to find the next young stud. I mean, a couple years ago, it was Joe Brady. We saw Michigan going after Christian Robinson. We know how highly regarded he is. You look at Michigan's entire staff there, I, I would think that the mean age, whatever median age there has got to be like 33 years old. You look at the entire staff there, Maybe that's what Florida is trying to do here, in a sense, in getting Jules Montanar, a guy who's just, what, 34 years old, going on 35 years old. It gives you a little bit younger presence in the room, and not to knock uh, you know, or, or discriminate against English or Gray, but you have to maybe think that that's a factor because you look around college football, and that's happening everywhere now. Guys getting opportunities from a younger age to start working their way up the coaching tree. Yeah, and I just think, you know, as someone who's watched Florida defensive backs and covered them, Gators got some dogs in that secondary room, man. And, you, you know, you got to be able to get through to those guys, especially when they're struggling. And I think having a, a change in maybe coaching style could be something Absolutely. That, that helps that. So, um, you know, some guys that are getting a, a different set of coaching style this week, Graham, are the seniors uh, over there in Mobile at the Reese's uh, Senior Bowl. And you see a, a trio of Gators uh, taking part, even though they had five uh, selections for this all-star game for the second consecutive year. Just three Gators that are taking part in it after Jeremiah Moon decided to come back for a sixth season. And Kyle Trass, no senior bowl for him this week uh, due to uh, an ankle injury reportedly. And he did not make the trip to Mobile either to go through interviews or, or anything like that. So Florida's pro day will be his opportunity to meet with NFL teams and kind of go through interviews and obviously impress them on the field with his workout. And there's no NFL scouting combine this year. So he's going to have to make the most of that opportunity. But the guys that are playing, specifically the two receivers, Kadarius, Tony, and Trevon Grimes, they've been making some some noise in Mobile. Uh, you know, really you know, during the one-on-ones, you saw those guys making some plays. And I think my favorite thing from the first day, Graham, though, was Tony getting interviewed afterwards and 
him being asked on video to, to freestyle. And he's like, nah, man, that's going to cost you. Absolutely. That's a true MC right there, letting everyone know that we don't freestyle for free. You see how much a feature costs? I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> you're trying to get one for free? Nice is, try, bud. This is uh, Young Joke on the track. What are we talking about? you got to wait until that drops. But seriously, I, you look at a guy like Kadarius Tony. there's a reason that he, fellow Florida wide receivers, were clamoring and excited for that Senior Bowl invite. You look back last year. And, and not just even last year, but you look back, for example, at what Van Jefferson did. This is a guy that many people pegged as a fourth, fifth-round pick in the upcoming NFL draft. Goes to the Senior Bowl, impresses in interviews, impresses with his footwork, which I'm going to talk about in a second here, but impresses with all these other aspects, complete prospect, and lo and behold, comes out of Mobile being talked about as a second-round NFL draft pick. That is what you are hoping happens. And for Kadarius Toney, I think that that's a guy who he, he could – benefit from doing some interviews, from showing his footwork. There's even doubts about his speed for some reason. I I have no questions about his ability, but I see why some teams possibly would just because everyone really wants that next Tyreek Hill, but you don't want to take a risk on a guy without being 100% about who they are. So it's going to benefit a guy like him to, to assuage those fears and going out there. And that's why I was impressed with him in interviews and on the field out there. When it comes to footwork, Zach, it wasn't too long ago that social media videos were coming out of Florida's wide receivers, Rick Wells, Tyree Cleveland, yeah, all of them. Van Jefferson. Working on the same footwork drill. And that clip that everyone was using where he says, if he doesn't adjust, then I just run his dog. I can't say it here, but you go out there and find it. That clip was kind of laughed about for some reason, but that is a piece of history. I agree right now. That is a piece of history. When you look at all those guys making it in the league, you got to show that on a projector in the Florida football building, in my mind, especially if you're Billy Gonzalez, that's got to be in like a moving picture frame or something because that is a great recruiting tool and yeah. an advocate for development. None of those guys, outside of Tyree Cleveland really, and now Trayvon Grimes, were considered top wide receiver prospects in their class. Yeah. And now they're on NFL rosters. And, and, and- and shout out to uh, Shannon Snell because he pointed this out uh, on Twitter this week, and he's just stating the obvious, right? But I think it's it's well worth pointing out to people that uh, maybe had some complaints about Billy Gonzalez, and, and and when I say people, I mean some Gator fans, and a lot of them, I guess, were geared toward the recruiting of the receiver position, but you can't deny or argue with the results that have happened at the receiver position, the production, the development, and just the track record. Now two stints at Florida, this dude just churns out NFL receivers year after year. And you mentioned, you know, how that helps on the recruiting front. That definitely, I think helps him be able to go out there and get more guys and, and also take advantage of the transfer portal, which he's done as well, getting guys like Grimes and, and Van Jefferson and, and Justin Shorter. So, um, been impressive to see what those guys are doing at the Senior Bowl, and you can catch that game this Saturday. You can also catch the Hoops team back in action uh, this Saturday after they were able to go to Athens and uh, get a win, Graham. Really impressive week. We talked last week about that 26-point victory over Tennessee, how they did it without Colin Castleton, Scotty Lewis, and you already know Keontae Johnson out. Well, they get Colin Castleton back against Georgia. He comes off the bench, plays 18 minutes, Hits seven of nine shots, scores 14 points. 
This is the worst rebounding team in the SEC, and in the last week, they have looked incredibly impressive in the front court. It's really going to lead to some changes moving forward here, Zach. Omar Payne played so well last week, scored nine points against Tennessee, had nine points against Georgia, nine offensive rebounds throughout the week. They're going to probably keep starting him moving forward, especially if Castleton can give you double digits off the bench every single night. This is one of the best shot-blocking teams in the SEC despite their low rebounding, which really kind of makes you think that this is a by-committee approach when it comes to chasing rebounds that really will make up the difference for Florida. But the big thing moving forward is that they are now changing everything offensively. Mm -hmm. They spent the entire preseason, which it was a much different preseason, we all know, They spent the entire preseason establishing a a dribble-drive-heavy offense. Well, without Keontae Johnson, without Scotty Lewis, they don't have their best two guys who can attack the basket. Yeah, facilitate that. Run the dribble-drive offense. So you're going to see more screens. You're going to see more high-ball screens. You're going to see more pick-and-rolls, feeds to the post, backdoor screens. This is going to be a team that is going to screen all over the floor in the half court while attempting to still push the pace. And we're going to have to see how successful it is. Anytime you throw out the offense midway through the season in SEC play, you're going to have some drop-offs. It's not going to be all roses and peaches and cream like it was last week. You're going to have some issues. So this team is going to gamble high-risk, high-reward on going with Omar Payne, going with Colin Castleton and playing big. We'll see if it works out here moving forward. But if they can keep getting performances like they got from Trey Mann, the Gainesville native, 24 points, a career-high the most minutes he's played yet at Florida, 39 minutes sack, six rebounds, four assists. I mean, this is a guy that coming into the year, a former five-star prospect, people had huge question marks about if he could play the point guard position. Now there's talks about him being a first-round NBA draft pick in June. Yeah, and that's that's really impressive to see the turnaround that he's had developing from his freshman year and now being able to deliver. How big do you think it was, Graham, for them to go on the road and follow up that huge upset win over Tennessee with a gritty performance like that against the Bulldogs where they were still missing some of their you know big pieces like Scotty Lewis but found a way to come away with the win? It actually wasn't as close as the outcome would have made it look the the Bulldogs hit I think their last five shots down the stretch Florida's up by double digits here at the end still wins by eight points we were all saying victory with three minutes left to play which as you know was not the case in the last few Florida games where they came back in the last three minutes so that's how huge this week was for Florida now if they can actually do that moving forward and replicate that and bring that energy You had to be more actually, I think, encouraged by the Georgia performance because Georgia did what Tennessee didn't. They actually played well. They shot the basketball well. They hit some high-efficiency shots. They defended at a high rate. They have a very good freshman and severe wheeler that really causes a lot of problems for you. They really, Tom Crean, that's a winning coach. I was really impressed with what Florida did, more so than the Tennessee game, because Georgia played well. 92 points is the most points that Florida scored against that Georgia team since before I was born. There was no limit to the amount of impressive aspects on Saturday. But what Florida fans know all too well, it's about consistency. Stringing that together game from game. Avoiding the letdowns. And after a two-game win streak... Florida now looks to three and four and five. And if they can do that, then we can talk about the NCAA tournament. You've talked about how they've developed their new offense now, obviously with with the pieces missing. And you figure once Keontae Johnson went down, that that was definitely going to change the course of this season. And obviously, best case scenario would have been for them to win every game, right? Or, or, or find a way to still be really good. But when you look at how this could have 
really went south and been a worst case scenario. How do you view Graham, how things have played out to this point since that FSU game? I mean, do you feel like the Gators are close to as best case of scenario as they could be in right now? Obviously, if they could have got the win over Kentucky, they would be in much better shape. But it seems like they're starting to figure out some things. And obviously, that Tennessee win was a huge turning point in their season. You can sit there and, and moan and gripe about what happened to you and, and losing your three best players, in a sense, when you're facing the number six team, or you can find ways to respond and, and react to adversity. And that's what I think Florida did. Because I think a lot of people were expecting worst-case scenario after Keontae Johnson I went think down. that a lot of people wrote the season off and yes. said, hey, how can these guys even play? If you saw what happened on the court, if you saw how the team reacted, how – without getting into too much detail, how they felt in the two weeks leading up to, how involved they were in the conversations to postpone, how some of them needed to go home and completely not even think about basketball at all for two weeks in order to even think about it again for the rest of the season, how they didn't have a chance to practice before that Vanderbilt game, save for one session on that Sunday before they reconvened. This team is, I feel like, in a sense, still in shock about what happened and playing with that lack of emotion whether they want to say that they're playing with a ton of emotion has helped this team in my mind. And that's why I say best case scenario. This could have obviously gone south. But when you look at context, this is a Florida team that was up by double digits on the road at FSU. They were close to picking up that elusive, well, not really close, but they were on the way to picking up that elusive victory over the Knolls that has eluded Mike White since mm-hmm. he got to Gainesville. Then they likely would have win the games over FAU, UNF, James Madison, if Keontae Johnson doesn't go down and then you're talking about an undefeated team heading into SEC play and then the losses to Alabama and Kentucky are probably closer if not different outcomes and you're talking about a team that is one of the best in the SEC if not the entire country if they're still healthy so for them to still be competitive losing what they have changing the offense having to go through guys who were unheralded in Castleton who had to prove themselves in in man who dealt with COVID themselves and a new role the way that they've all responded has all, in my mind, been best-case scenario. And I think it's why people have kind of said, oh, you're a little bit more high on Mike White than most, because I think that context matters. Complaining about this team when they're down three of their best pieces, when they've changed the offense, when they made all these changes and didn't have the period to do it in, that's the context. It's not going to be an overnight success. It's not like football where you can just go to the transfer portal every single year and if you miss on a guy, it's fine. You lose one guy who goes down, someone's sick, someone has a mental lapse, misses a shot, that can lead you to a multi-game losing streak and possibly getting fired. And I just think that when you look at Mike White's resume over the last, last six years, it hasn't been overly impressive. But I think that the context has mattered, especially this season. Absolutely. And Graham, before we get to uh, David Whitley, I want to uh, mention some news regarding Mike White in terms of his family with his brother and his dad. Uh, the announcements this past week looking like both of those guys are obviously on the move and going to be seeing a lot more of his brother in the SEC with uh, him going to uh, Tennessee. Yeah, and he already has his coach, as reports today have come out, that he's hiring Josh Heupel, his replacement for Scott Frost at UCF, and now he's going to come over to Knoxville and join the Volunteers with Danny White. You know, I always kind of think it's very funny when programs shell out money for search firms and then often 
a case where it's who the AD already trusts and yes. knows can do the good job. We certainly know that here in Florida as well with the case of Dan Mullen and, and Scott Strickland and now Danny White and Josh Hoypel up there in Knoxville. And then, as you mentioned, the other news with Kevin White, his father, the famous Kevin White at Duke University, who has had a long career, finally announced that he's going to end it in August of this year. Very, very huge news for yeah. the NCAA Division One athletics community and especially for the White family in the last week, like you mentioned. Yeah, Graham, and obviously with his brother, Mike had some fun comments this week about you know him going to Tennessee and trying to claim some victories over the Vols. Yeah, he did. He was asked if that victory over Tennessee counted as a win over his brother, and he said absolutely. Obviously, Danny's not going to count that, but Mike's <laughs> counting that one. He can count. All the victories in backyard basketball, though, over his brother. We asked Mike earlier in the week here as well how many times they would go at it and who was the better basketball player growing up. And Mike said that they probably played 5,000 times growing up, and he doesn't think Danny won once. (laughs) But he did give Danny one award, best fouler in the White family. So he can take that with him there to Knoxville as the guy who's the best fouler. Hopefully it doesn't translate in to fouls. And their first victory for Danny White over Mike White once he's the AD at Knoxville, I'm sure Florida fans are certainly hoping that he doesn't pick up a win there once he's the AD for the Vols. Yeah, I think the funniest thing that I saw on Twitter this week was when they announced the hire for their head coach at Tennessee. Um, I saw one of the Gator fans tweet, this is textbook Tennessee. And another Florida fan responded, LOL, they don't have textbooks at Tennessee. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Man, so, McGraw-Hill needs to get a... They need to get a McGraw-Hill endorsement or something up there, man. Yeah, no doubt. Well, we're going to hit this break. When we come back on the other side, we'll be joined by the new Gainesville Sun Sports columnist, David Whitley, to introduce you guys to him and uh, let you know a little bit about his background. We'll be right back after this break. We're now joined by new Gainesville Sun Sports columnist David Whitley on the Gator Sports Podcast. David, welcome into the show. How's it going, my man? All's good. How are y'all? We are doing great, man. Obviously, uh, great to uh, catch up with you and wanted to give our listeners an opportunity to hear from you and uh, get to know you a little bit uh, as, as they're going to be reading a lot of your columns here uh, moving forward. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, David, let's just you know obviously start with some of your background, let people know a little bit about yourself and and you know where you came from and, and how, how you ended up here. Sure thing. Um, well, currently, as of uh, let's see, until last Friday, I was working at the Orlando Sentinel. Uh, actually, I wasn't in sports. I was on the editorial board. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the It's spelled uh, B-O-A-R-D, but it, it actually is, it should be B-O-R-E-D because it, it's boring to me. <laughs> you, you know, uh, it's it's interesting covering stuff, politics and, and other real world issues. And uh, I, I sort of enjoyed doing it and writing about it. But uh, I had spent the first, gosh, three decades of my career in sports mm-hmm. into this, the latest gig. And uh, I sort of wanted to get back to it. There's a lot, you have a lot more fun, let's say covering a, a football game than covering a legislative session. So <laughs> that, uh, that got me back into, into sports. And I was lucky enough that, uh, you know, the, the legendary Pat Dooley happened to be moving on and they were looking for somebody new. And, and so uh, here I am. Absolutely. Now, obviously, you mentioned your you know, your history in sports and and obviously your familiarity, I'm sure, with 
you know, the Florida football programs at time, what was kind of your first expo- exposure to Gator football, whether it be as a young fan or as a, you know, a student or, um, right. or obviously a, as a reporter and, and what's it like to kind of, you know, be able to return back to Gainesville in this yeah. capacity? You know, uh, I do have my first exposure was, gosh, I must've been 10 years old. <laughs> and, and my father took my brother and I, to a, uh, the Florida-Alabama game. I think it must have been 1971, something like that. And, and they were playing, and it was a early, se- you know, early season game. So it was about you know, 9,000 degrees in Gainesville. And uh, <laughs> we're sitting in the, in the sunny part. And I, I recall seeing Bear Bryant leaning against the goalpost, smoking a cigarette before the game, watching you know, his, his team practice the wishbone. And... Uh, they went out there, and I think they they won like thirty eight to nothing. Oh you know, gosh! Which you know, if you if you factor in the inflation rate, that, these days that would be like you know, two hundred and sixty five to nothing, because um, they probably passed the ball three times that day. But uh, it was pretty much a wipeout. So my let's, let's just say my first impression of the Gators wasn't that wasn't that good. Uh, but uh, then you know when I was a student there, let's see. They weren't real good. That was a Charlie Pell era when he was starting. And uh, I do recall, I, I witnessed the, you know, the, the 1979 season. They had, uh, the highlight was a tie against Georgia Tech. They were like, what, 0, 10, and 1. But I recall seeing the tie. It was 7-7 it was, it was, uh, on a Saturday night. And uh, I think they combined for like 25 punts. It was you know, one of the most boring nights of my life. But it was a Gator tie, and that was a high point of that season. But, you know, things, uh, things picked up, you know, with, with Charlie, uh, and then things sort of crumbled uh, when the NCAA got involved. And, uh, you know, and, and then through the 80s, you know, it was sort of hit or miss and some, some highlights. And then, of course, along comes Spurrier in the 90s. And, you know, since then, it's been sort of like Shangri-La. <laughs> Absolutely. Until, uh, until, you know, the uh, – the post-urban era, but now things that have got seems to have gotten straightened out pretty well. That's why what, what I guess I want to ask you next when it comes to our listeners here in Gainesville, this is their first time hearing you, but their first time reading you in the Gainesville Sun. You mentioned Jim McElwain yeah, several right. times. I I want to get first your yeah. take on the McElwain era in Gainesville and your impressions so far of Dan Mullen in Gainesville. Yeah. Yeah. I uh I McElwain's an interesting, yeah, fascinating character. Um, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. It's a good it. term. I like yeah. that. That's, yeah. that's kind. That's some PR right there. Right. <laughs> you know, you, you don't want to make fun of the dead. Well, he's not enough. Well, he, I guess he's dead in Gainesville. But, uh, uh, yeah, it, he, he sort of, you know, from a football standpoint, I think, I think Muschamp was, was a much better coach, and, and, he, and at least a defensive coach. And, and so uh, he gave, you know, uh, McElwain a – you know, pretty good foundation to work with. And I think McElwain sort of rode that for the first couple of years. Uh, and, and then just his, well, what, frankly, you know, his lack, his lack of ability as a coach, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, he, he just, frankly, he was, if he was a 10th as good of coach as he thought he was, the Gators would, you know, won the SEC you know, 16 times in the last, you know, in his first two years. It's just, uh, you know, reality hit, and, uh, you know, he did just the, just the oddball characteristics of, of Jim McElwain. It, you know, it just all sort of congealed and, and, and the roof caved in. Um, you know, 
I did mention, you, know, you mentioned that I, I, I talked about him a bit in, in the one column I've done and, you know, and he was great from a, from a writer standpoint, because you want characters and, and, and he, he was certainly character and the, you know, the, I still think that was him that posed on top of the shark. Um, you know, uh, and, and I'm your, your, our listeners probably, you know, know the story of, of, you know, the, the picture of the guy who looks like McElwain, <laughs> twin brother, you know, Jimmy Jones. naked on top of a shark that they're being caught on the back of a boat. <laughs> you know, uh, whether it's true or not, it was sure fun to write about. Um, and, you know, had it, you know, had it been, you know, Muschamp or, or, or Dan Mullen, something, and they said, no, you really, but, you know, McElwain is the kind of guy you could believe would pose naked on top of a shark. And did you see how serious he got? Yeah, it was about very defensive. SEC yeah. Media Days, he, he made it about his family. And that was totally right. different. I think Zach was up there in the private room. He get to go up a few floors and talk to the coach privately yeah. ahead of time with the local media. And he was kind of you know, jovial, laughing yeah, he about brushed it. it off. And then comes out there on the national stage and has one or two quips. And, and that was the year with the hurricane drama and all that too. So he was a little bit worked up, but his defensiveness to me, yeah. it was the first time where I really thought, oh, man, maybe that guy <laughs> isn't ready for the yeah. moment. It's aquatic life also and yeah. isn't ready for the moment. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, what, you know, if there is one guiding principle, if you're an AD looking for, for a coach, it should be that you never hire a coach where people might actually believe that he would pose naked on top of him. <laughs> yeah. um, that's always and, a good, yeah. good principle. Yeah, so you sort of, you know, if you, that's your, your, your baseline. You take it from there, you're going to be okay. Um, you know, so I doubt that that was the first question that Scott Strickland asked Mullen, you know, uh, when he hired him, because you know, they go they go way back. Um, and, you know, Mullen, you, you knew he was go- he was a good, solid coach. You know, he with just from, from his Ur- days with Urban, you know, in, in Gainesville. And and uh, and then you know, he he did well at Mississippi State. And anytime you do well, at Mississippi State with that program, you figure you should do well at Florida, given the advantages there. And he's, you know, he's fulfilled what he's, what he came to, to do. Uh, you know, this past season got a little rocky yeah, uh, with, you know, he just sort of stepped in it, sort of self-inflicted wounds with <laughs> PR wise with when he popped off after the A&M game about. Uh, packing know, the swamp. Yeah. yeah. Packing the swamp and stuff. Although, yeah, you know, again, I, you always got to like a, a, a guy who just says what's on his mind. And that was what was on his mind. He didn't edit it. You know, that's what made, you know, made Spurrier so much fun to cover. He, he didn't have an edit button. Um, it yeah. works when you're winning. Yeah. 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 And, and well, no doubt you, you can get away with that stuff when you're winning. And, uh, but you know, with, uh, with Dan and, and the thing at this Texas A&M, you know, it, it was on top of everything. It was just the politically incorrect thing to say at the, at the moment, because everybody, and, and they still are, you know, is so concerned about COVID and anything that looks like, well, you're, you're making fun of COVID rules, you know, you, you're automatically have this, you know, you almost get this QAnon label on your on your head. Uh, he, he was just caught up in the heat of the moment and, and saying what he thought. And, and, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, had they had they inventoried the, the tickets at Texas in that day, they would have found that they sort of did pack the stadium a little more than they should have. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a big rules. crowd there uh, mm-hmm. for the 12th man. Now, you, you mentioned uh, David you know, Mullen just kind of being willing to speak his mind. And he's always had, uh, you know, th- those, those type of comments since he got to Florida. And 
as a columnist coming here to cover him, how, how much does that you know, excite you, entice you, knowing that you got a guy that's not going to go up there and give coach speak, and he's going to say what he thinks, right or wrong, and, and give you good comps to write? Oh, you know, that's that's just you know whether you know it's a coach or a player or anything, but you, but mainly you, you you hit it on the nose. It's coach speak, and so many of them are like that. Uh, they're just you know the. the and yeah, I, I'm not old enough to remember the old days where um, every coach was a character. It seemed like, you know, the old Bear Bryant type things. Uh, you know, I was lucky enough to, to cover Bobby Bowden in his prime when I, I was uh, in Tallahassee in the 80s. And uh, and he was the kind of guy who, you know, he, he, he cared what people thought, but he, he cared more about just speaking his mind. He didn't he didn't worry about what he was saying and how, how it might be perceived. And he wasn't a controversial type of guy anyway, but he was, a lot of it is just being open and accessible to people. And he was that. Um, what, one quick story, I, I, had, I had moved away from Tallahassee, you know, gone to Texas to, um, to work there and uh, then come back and I was working in Tampa and I hadn't seen Bowden probably in five or six years. And, uh, and then they had a, a, a big story come out and in, in, uh, in Sports Illustrated um, guys probably don't remember a cover story on how FS free shoes you, how an inv- investigation showed that they, all these players were getting stuff from us. Oh, from, yeah. And uh, so, and this is after they won a, a national title, I guess in 93. And the story came out in the spring, and he was on his spring uh, booster tour. And so I, I was sent down to, to um, try to catch up with him in Sarasota, the speaking engagement that night. And it was, it was a huge crowd, about 500 people. And I couldn't get to him afterwards, but I, I, uh, so I, and he went and ducked out the side door with, with, uh, the, the head of the booster club. And so I tried to follow him on the elevator and I couldn't get to it. And I, but I saw the elevator stopped on the, on the 10th floor. And, and so I, next elevator, I, I, I caught up there, got the 10th floor and I saw a door shut. And I thought that might be the, uh, the booster club president whom I knew really well. And so I, I just didn't know it. So I waited a couple minutes and I knocked on the door thinking it was him. I was going, I was going to say, Hey, do you know which room Bowden is in? Or can you set it up? But instead of not, uh, uh, him open the door, Bowden opened the door and he, he was in his boxer shorts and chewing on a cigar. And that was it. And he, you know, he, and you know, most coaches would have just, you know, had slammed the door in your face or, or, <laughs> or said, get, you know, now. Get lost. he just is like, Hey boy, what are you doing here? Says, uh, come on in, and and uh, and I said, I hate to bother you know, about this. Also, I mean, he sat down, you know, in his boxer shorts and talked for half an hour about uh, you know the the whole scandal, blah blah blah. Wow, and, you know, you just don't get that anymore, unfortunately, because I mean, a lot of it is just there's so much more media, and you build, you know, you, and you know, and, and then there's, and I, I blame a lot of this on the Nick Sabanization of of uh, the SEC and controlling the message. And everything going through proper channels, and uh, you know, part of controlling the message is just not letting anybody talk. And you know, it's uh, and there used to be so much access to to players and and stuff, but now you know, just just getting a, a player alone for fifteen or twenty minutes is hard to do. And and of course, it's impossible to do these days with COVID. But uh, you know, back to your original question, yeah, it's uh, it's great when you have a, a guy who you know will just speak his mind. Well, we're going to give you a chance to be yourself now. And that's something that Pat Dooley made him so lovable to this community was that on top of Gators coverage, you'd get what he's 
watching, listening to, eating, drinking, doing everything, the whole kit and caboodle. And we want to give the readers and listeners here in Gainesville a chance to get to know you a little bit better now. So we're going to put you on the spot right now. Get some of your favorites, what you've been doing recently, David, in this pandemic where there's not too much to do, but it seems, but wait for the time to pass and, and watch and listen to things. What have you been watching? What entertainment, aside from college football and athletics, what have you been doing in the pandemic to stay entertained? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it, it's sort of embarrassing, but uh, I, I've been watching a lot of the Food Network, to tell the truth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've uh, become a big fan of Chopped. Oh, yeah. Uh, and although I can't cook at all, <laughs> uh, uh, but for some reason, I just, I just get sucked in to it and you know what they can make of those baskets you know if, if people understand you know it's, it's these four chefs and they just give them these mystery baskets and they have 15 minutes to concoct these great you know a, a an appetizer a main course and a dessert and you know like last night it was like uh it was co- uh, the, the dessert round was cocoa beans um raspberries um a rutabaga and you mm-hmm. know a a, a, a big cupcake, you know, and, okay. and, I, and, but somehow they concoct these, these great dishes and, you know, it, it's, it's, it sucked me in and I didn't think it would, but then, you know, I'll just sit there and I, and I, you know, I'm a, honestly, if I can bet on these people, I would, it's, it's, it's sort of sad. And, uh, but, you know, otherwise I've been doing some binge watching on, on uh, stuff, you know, I, it's, um, I, I stumbled onto Ozark. You guys watch that on uh, Netflix? Oh, I watched that. Yeah, Jason oh, Bateman. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great, great show. Great characters. I, I, I recommend it to anybody. Uh, so I, I caught up with that. Uh, and that's, that's pretty, you know, I don't watch a lot of TV besides, unless, you know, it's sports, stuff like that. But, you know, even, even sports has been you know, pretty, pretty lame lately, except for the NFL. I'm kind of the same way, David. The only thing I'll usually watch is sports or like a, Seinfeld rerun or yeah, I'll tell this man something new and he'll be like, mm, I got to watch a, an old Denzel movie. Sorry. I don't know what five time. <laughs> yeah. But, I'm but stuck in my ways. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much uh, as, as far as TV entertainment goes, you know, I'd like to say, say I sit around each night and, and read Socrates and stuff like that. But truth be told, <laughs> all the actual, an actual last book I, I actually read. I, I, I mean, I read a lot of, of magazine pieces and you know, stuff on the internet, but I'm embarrassed to say that, uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm a voracious reader, you know, and, and, you know, it's not like, like everybody, uh, who reads is smart, but it seems like everybody who's smart reads a lot, you know? Uh, and so, uh, maybe I'm just not that smart, you know, that, that I, I don't go through, a, you know, a book a week to become a better well-rounded person, but, you know, I maybe. So, uh, you know, I can't say that, that I've been passing my time reading great literature, unfortunately. Well, since you mentioned food, we, we got to ask you the question that divides this country, and we, we got to get your opinion on it, and that's are you a Moe's or Chipotle guy? I mean, that's, that's really what, yeah. it, what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I hate to split the baby here, but, you know, uh, I, I have this debate every Monday with my kids. You know, it's Moe's Monday. Moe's Monday. That's right. Oh, oh, got to yeah. order in the app now. Oh, and, and you know, I've I've been to about gosh, you know, uh, six months worth of Moe's Mondays, and yes, I honestly I I lean Chipotle just just for the for the actual I get a bowl as opposed to the the the, the, uh, the whole burrito. Uh huh. I'm the uh, same way as you. I can't. What what bugs me about Chipotle is they charge you 
whatever, you know, a buck 79 for the chips, you know, and, and, and I, and they give you the chips at, at Moe's. Now I know that they probably, you know, factor it in somehow, but it just bugs me that I'm <laughs> 79 for like two cents worth of chips that, you know, that, that, and, and they'll hit you and they charge for guacamole as opposed to, as opposed to Moe's, they just pile it on. Mm-mm-mm. I feel more like I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm being gouged at Moe's, even though it's still being pretty- gypped. Yeah. You're used to getting your free chips elsewhere. Yeah. And now they're telling you that you have to pay for chips. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever gotten a a, a kid's meal. I have one daughter who's still young enough to pass for for a kid, even though she's not. So she gets the meal and literally they give you a kid's bag of chips. It is like four chips in the kid. It would not, you know, Mm. feed, you know, a, 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 a newborn bird, but that's (laughs) the chip bag. And plus the chips are a bit blander than the ones that, uh, at Moe's. So yeah, no. Well, you, yeah, you're no. preaching to the choir because you got you got Moe's guys here on the other yeah. on the other on the other side. So uh right. and Plus, Nick and Nick Del Torre well, from from Rivals, he'll be happy to hear this as well. He's one of the guys on the beat. He's a big Moe's guy. When we were growing up here in Gainesville, though, we only had Moe's. There was Moe's all around town. I, right. I feel like we didn't get a yeah. Chipotle here until until you you were probably in college when yeah, we first got then, a Chipotle. And it was the big student craze because the students yeah, love it. Because it's the grass yeah. that's seemingly greener, but they don't have a Moe's Monday. They don't have that home record with the yeah. drink and, and that family that family. Like eight, what, eight dollars? Yeah, the family environment. I'm <laughs> yeah. when I'm walking in Chipotle, I'm walking right out with my food and going home. At Moe's, I'm yeah. kinda like, hey, maybe I could I could plop down. They got the they got the nice Coke machine. They give you the big yeah. welcome. They got when the you salsa the station. Do they have a salsa station at Chipotle? No, people just steal the bottles. Yeah. <laughs> right. From what I hear. From what I hear. Every like like every two years, you hear of a of you know, like a homemade food poisoning scare at Chipotle, where you know sick you know you know hundreds of people go home and start puking allegedly. You know a, a bad you know a bad guacamole dip, uh, <laughs> and you, you don't hear that at Moe's that much. You know, so I uh, I always you know can swallow with, with a little bit more of a clear conscience, knowing that I probably won't be hugging the toilet. <laughs> Moe's knows burritos. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, final question for you, David. I know you you mentioned this in your introductory call, but just um, for our listeners and readers, just give them just an overall sense of what they can expect from you as a columnist, and you know what you look to bring. And I know you mentioned kind of some of your beliefs there, and and I know you you know did a good job of p- keeping folks entertained in that story. Yeah, you know, uh, one one thing I always I, I don't really have a, a a lot of hard and fast rules, but I always wanted to when when I was reading sports coming up, uh, you know. I, I, I thought, well, would, would, uh, would somebody who's not a sports fan really care to read this? Like, would, would my mother read this or care? And like my mother, she, she could name like, uh, maybe one athlete, you know, if, if I spotted her Michael Jordan, that, that might be it. But, uh, but I, I've always enjoyed it when people said that they don't, they don't, they're not really the hardcore sports fan that they, that they would read it anyway. Cause I figured, the, the hardcore sports fans will, will read the paper or the website anyway. So I, I try to draw in or, or make it as interesting to, to the non-hardcore sports fan as possible um, and, and let them, you know, sort of get them into, into you know, why, why this game or this person or whatever the issue is, make them want to understand it and, and, and feel like, well, when they're done, that they, that they enjoyed reading it and, you know, and I just, the worst thing I want is for a reader to be bored. Sort, sort of like, you know, anytime you, you have an opinion, you know, 
people, half the people may agree, half the people may disagree. That's fine. But you just don't want people to come away going, eh, and have, have no view. Like, like, I'd rather be loved or hated than just having people think, eh, they don't think anything about yeah. it. And uh, so, yeah, and I mean, you guys know what it is, especially with something that people feel passionate about is, is, uh, is, is college football, that they, you know, you, you have to, you want to be accurate, but you also, you know, if you have to call people on the carpet and, and, and it upsets people that, you know, that's part of the job. And, you know, if I'm not, you know, coming to town to, you know, pretend like I'm, I'm, I'm the new sheriff in town and I want to, you know, stir things up or anything, but, you know, if, if, if the Gators do, do poorly, you know, you got to write what you see They do great, you know, great. You're right with that's with what you see then too. But, you know, it, when, when it's all over, you just want people to, to, to stop and say, well, I, you know, I feel that that column or that story you know, was fair and I, I enjoyed reading it and I learned something. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Well, said. well we learned something by obviously talking to you and I know our readers are going to learn a lot from you over you know, the months and years to come. And the good thing for you, David, is that you're coming to Gainesville during the Mullen era and not the McElwain era. <laughs> so it was <laughs> yeah. good timing on your part. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But we, we really appreciate it and, uh, you know, look forward to having on you, uh, having you on here a lot more to come. Okay. Enjoy it, guys. We'll do this again a few hundred times. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, David. Appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Appreciate David for his time. It was great to uh, get a chance to get to know him and get some stories from his times on the beat. And um, that'll do it for today's episode. When we come back next week, we will hopefully have no coaching news to talk about Graham and we'll recap the Gators game against West Virginia and how the Gators uh, fared in the Big 12 challenge for Graham Hall. I'm Zach Albaverde. No one.